Boom, live. It's great to have you back, Professor Finkelstein. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. So before we jump in the Ben Shapiro's uh, and uh, David Brog uh, fantasy land uh, with the last latest video, uh, I wanted to ask you a question about the answer we've seen from the international community um, about the uh, ongoing genocide, uh, genocide and ethnic cleansing that is happening Uh, against Palestinians uh, at the ends of the, the Israeli extreme right uh, Zionist government. Uh, we've seen in Europe uh, very shy, cowardness uh, behavior in Switzerland too. They abstain in one of the uh, UN resolution. We've seen good, good things as well in uh, Spain, for instance. The uh, Social minister for social minister or something, uh, Ione Ballara, who is calling a cat a cat. We've seen Colombia and Bolivia acting in good ways, and beside that, of course, the the standard uh, usual um, uh, behavior of of Israel has the right to defend itself uh, story. So that's my first question. What do you think about the? political answer of governments around the world and also the public answer. Like last week I was in a uh, demonstration and I've seen demonstration everywhere in the world. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, also, is it like impressive? Is it uh, doing no nothing at all? Oh, yeah. What's your take on it? At the level, of, at the governmental level, the division seems to be between the uh, United States and the European Union, also Canada, and I've not followed it, presumably Australia on the one side and the rest of the world on the other side. In terms of if you were to do it, a population breakdown, well, obviously China and Russia have been critical of the Israeli reaction and have been in various forms um, supportive of the people of Gaza. Uh, so there are, the response, the last ceasefire resolution in the General Assembly was, I think, 120 for it. The 45 nations abstained, and the, uh, the United States, Israel, and a few South Pacific islands, uh, I think Hungary and the Czech Republic opposing a ceasefire. Hungary, Czech Republic, and Guatemala opposing a ceasefire. At the governmental level, uh, it would seem that on the question of the ceasefire, uh, the U.S. is pretty isolated. Uh, Europe is hopeless. Yeah. The, the European reaction is, <clears throat> my opinion, it's a mixture of subservience to the U.S., uh, which has historically been the case, but also a kind of uh, European Nordic ubermenschen mentality, which identifies at some visceral visceral emotional level with Israel 
against these dark-skinned natives who are at their doorstep. Uh, so it's the identification of the European population, governments and populations, not the, I'll get to the population in a moment, but the governments which see in Gaza, in particular Hamas, as a kind of the Muslims who are um, diluting the European character of that region, the Judeo-Christian, the Enlightenment values. Uh, so I don't think it's just subservience there are these characters like Ursula von der Leyen, who I have come to call the Nazi princess. She looks exactly like some concentration camp commandant. You can easily imagine her in the crisp uniform, the riding whip in her hands, going strutting up and down the women's barracks in Majdanek concentration camp. She's that type. And so she feels very much at home, this Nordic ubermenschen. She feels very much at home. Of course, there's an irony here among Israelis who happen to be Jewish. But if we leave aside that slight detail, and the same thing with Jens Stoltenberg, who I have come to call uh, Jens uh, Quisling Stoltenberg. He's a, he's a typical Norwegian Quisling uh, type. And I do believe, I'm, I know this is a very conservative point of view, but I kind of agree with Rousseau when he says, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, when he says that your inner character is reflected in your physical being. And when I see these folks, I see Nazis. They're, they're Nazi Ubermenschen. And of course, as I said, they have a particularly visceral disdain for these Gazan, Muslim, mm -hmm. swarthy uh, types. Yep. So I'm not, and also it's, yeah, uh, so it's a you know they see it as a threat to their civilization these sorts of people mm -hmm. and so easily identify with the Israeli Ubermenschen who were so toppled from their pedestals on October seventh when those uh, stupid Arabs managed to break free of Gaza concentration camp and seemed to have displayed a kind of ingenuity in formulating this operation. It's hard to say, by the way, at this point, whether it was the ingenuity of the people of Gaza or whether it was the complete incompetence of the Israeli intelligence uh, apparatus. I, I can't tell myself now which it was more of, 
incredible ingenuity of the uh, Gazans or incredible incompetence of the Israelis. I mean, all these people who are staffing the most high-tech surveillance apparatuses known to humankind, it seems that when they should have been surveilling Gaza, they were on their social media. They were, when I don't know any of the social media, I don't know anything about it, but I know there's something called chat box. I don't even know what it is. I have no idea. I'm telling you, I'm speaking complete ignorance. (laughs) But they were on chat box. They were on Instagram. When they were being paid, to surveil every inch, every uh, meter of Gaza, they were completely, they were, they were not doing their job, which, you know, to some extent you would expect of these uh, very privileged societies where they're not too keen on hard work. Mm. Um, in any event, they did completely humiliate uh, and shatter the myth of the invincible Israeli uh, army and apparatus, um, intelligence apparatus. So I do believe that's an element. We had an expression in the 1960s, it was called a vibe. V-I-B-E. And vibe is just a kind of um, karma that you emit, a vibe. It comes from vibration. And you get from people like Ursula van der Leyen and uh, Stoltenberg, this vibe of the Nordic uh, ubermenschen, you know, so that's why they so easily fall into identifying mm. with the Israelis. Now, at the popular level, obviously, the outpouring of support for Gaza has been spectacular, yeah. thrilling, heartwarming. And there, I think, it comes from two factors. One, it's a a genocide that it's occurring in real life, in real time, uh, before our eyes. And Israel is very, beginning on October 8th, was very uh, open about the fact that it was committing a genocide. Um, But also, this is a personal observation. Obviously, it can't speak for all parts of the world. Uh, the uh, the globe, the, the, the West, the Western countries, I'm not going to speak about the Arab world and the outpouring of support in the Arab world. And also, as you mentioned, the fact that Chile, Bolivia, Colombia, unfortunately, not including Brazil, yeah. but Chile, Colombia, uh, uh, Bolivia, Bolivia mm-hmm. taking a stand, uh, Lula's a disappointment. Yeah. Um, in any event, uh, so I don't want to speak about them, but speaking about the West, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a combination of 
genuine solidarity with the people of Gaza um, and in the face of a genocidal onslaught by the state of Israel. But I was I, I was at a demonstration last night, which lasted I'm until seeing, early yeah. hours of the morning. And I called for the demonstration, so I couldn't discreetly leave, even though I was much older than anybody there. So I had a right to go home on age grounds. Um, you got a feeling that because of the polarization of wealth in our society, the disappearance of the middle class, and so many young people who live in a precarious present and a futureless future, there was a feeling of identity with the oppressed of the earth, not a kind of patronizing or condescending or from above identity, but we're all in this together. Mm. We are all being shafted, destroyed, ruined, and wrecked by this system in its most horrible form uh, seen in Gaza. But it's the same people, the Bidens and the Blinkens, who rule the world on behalf of the powerful and don't give a darn about the quote-unquote ordinary people. So I felt uh, talking to the demonstrators yesterday, just looking at them, mm -hmm. They were very simply, you can almost say, drabbly dressed, drab, drab. What do you mean? Uh, oh, that means like simple bordering on a little bit raggedy. Drab means simple bordering a little bit on raggedy. You could see these, uh, and I don't say it in any pejorative, in a negative way. I'm just saying you could see these people are struggling. Yeah, that's... A very hard life for young people yeah. in America right now. Uh, there are no jobs that pay anything. There's no future. There are no dreams to be realized. And so I felt there was a kind of personal identity with the people in Gaza, not just as objects of pity or sympathy, but as we're all being destroyed by this system. It was very moving, just as an anecdote. I spontaneously said, I was speaking somewhere last night, and I said, all right, let's have a demonstration afterwards. Now, I'm not kidding. I am so incompetent, so inept. I'm like the Israeli intelligence. I got the address wrong where we were going where we were supposed to meet. I got the address wrong where we were supposed to All meet. Right. I got the address wrong where we were supposed to go. I had oh my. No, no idea what I was doing. Leaving aside, I have the worst sense of direction on God's earth. And it was a long march, a long distance. 
and I don't own a cell phone. All young people just Google, you know, get, I didn't have that. So I secretly wished that only five people would show up and then I could call it off. I said, no, nobody came. Goodbye. And I can go home and go to sleep. And it turned out that by midway, there were about 200 people. And it was a, it was a Tuesday night. It was a Tuesday night. The demonstration didn't begin until 9.30. And it ran till 1 a.m. Oh. And uh, it just, the, the feeling of solidarity and genuineness of moral commitment and conviction was really touching. But as I said, I think it had two elements. One element is the sympathy and pity for people who are uh, being subjected to a genocide. But I think another element was <clears throat> uh, we're all in this together. We're all being destroyed by this system. So it was. Uh, so I think at the popular level, obviously, it was a huge outpouring. I think the big danger now is the public very quickly gets bored. You know, young people they have uh, an attention span about two blinks of an eye. Sure. Uh, if you judge by how they navigate or it's called surf the web. And they're very, the young people are very, um, uh, Professor Chomsky once used the expression, he was describing his grandson. And he said he was watching his grandson doing homework. And he said he constantly had to go to Facebook, Go to this, go to that, go yeah. to that, go to that. You know, young people with two iPhones in their hands. And he described young people today as a consequence of the web. He used the expression, uh, they're stimulus starved. And there is a danger that as the genocide in Gaza goes into a more of the same mode, mm. a more of the same mode, that because they're stimu uh, young people are stimulus starved, their attention is going to go elsewhere. And uh, it's already clear, if you look at the papers today, Gaza has lowered. Today it was, in the Times, it was the election, because it was, uh, Tuesday's election day, but uh, it, it's lowered. It's getting lower on the mm -hmm. homepage, and that will be a real disaster. Yeah. Another element I see is uh, the, for me at least, the, the feeling of uh, hopelessness or helplessness. So I, I feel compelled to actually totally do, agree. Do some, totally agree. Do something. I, I want to yeah. emphasize the, the feelings of young people about hopelessness and helplessness in their own lives gets also projected on the scenes of the hopelessness and helplessness of the people of Gaza. So there is that commonality of sentiment and emotion. And I'm going to remember that, what you just yeah. said. It, it, what's happening in Gaza speaks to their own hopelessness and helplessness about life in general. Exactly. And and so I decided uh, to uh, maybe do something that I could. And one thing that I could do is to have a small interview with you in order to 
inform more people of of what is happening and you know in on social media you can easily uh, have millions of views even if you say absolute lies and 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 untruthful things it's no problem and i think it's a good thing because you know like freedom of uh, uh, of speech is important but you need to balance that and you need to answer to 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 lies and distortion and um as i propose to you if you're okay we can take a small video of um ben shapiro's uh view on the uh, conflict uh, and uh maybe you can answer to reestablish some truths as you're to me at least one of the if not the most knowledgeable people living on earth that knows about this um this situation in in Palestine do you agree uh for me to to show you some clips and then yes. you okay so let's do it uh, i'll do like this and like this can you see the video yep probably let me do this okay There are four myths generally propagated by the left around the history of Israel and the Palestinians. These myths matter because they lead people into a peculiar moral relativism whereby attempted murder or successful murder of Jews is excused and meanwhile the evil human rights violations of the Palestinians are yeah. minimized. Myth I number can't one. Hear Israel is historically oh, Muslim hear. Okay. territory. This Wait. is a pure and absolute lie. We're gonna... Israel is historically Jewish territory. According to the Bible Wait, and certain Wait. interpretations of contemporary you can't hear it. Okay, let me do it again. I think I know why I forgot to actually click there. Okay, let's start again here. One second. Okay, tell me if you can hear now. There are four myths generally propagated by the left around the history of Israel and the Palestinians. These myths matter because they lead people into a peculiar moral relativism whereby attempted murder or Can successful murder of Jews is excused and meanwhile the evil human rights violations of the Palestinians are minimized. Myth number one, Israel is historically Muslim territory. This is a pure and absolute lie. Israel is historically Jewish territory. According to the Bible and certain interpretations of contemporaneous archaeology, Joshua entered the land of Israel in 1400 BC. The kingdom of David was founded around 1000 BC. The first temple of Solomon was built in approximately 957 BC. The second temple was built in approximately 515 BC. The Hasmonean dynasty was founded in 166 BC. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 BC, and the Jews exiled from Israel in 136 CE after the defeat of the Bar Kokhba revolt. The Romans, in an attempt to shame the Jews, renamed the area Palestine as an insult after the Jews' historic enemy, the Philistines. Even during the exile, there was continuous Jewish presence in the land. Islam, which is the religion of the Palestinian Arabs, was not even founded until the 7th century CE or AD. No independent Arab state has ever existed in the area known as Palestine. Myth number two. Israel okay. is the cause of That's failure of land partition they. in the... Here we go. Um... Could you hear that? Yes, I heard it fine, Antoine. Okay, good. So you have the, the mic. What do you think about this in uh, start? First of all, I don't think at the present moment 
what happened 3,000 years ago in Palestine is the most pertinent topic. Second of all, I don't think Mr. Shapiro has a faintest idea what the anthropological, historical evidence shows. He has a couple of pictures, a nice timeline, yeah. adequate, <clears throat> adequate graphics. Cute music. But he has no professional knowledge of the topic. Any five-year-old in Hebrew school, in Hebrew day school, could have put together the same graphic depiction as his. So I'm not going to even attempt to answer him because he doesn't have any professional scholarly or any other kind of knowledge on the topic that merits a reply. Mm. However, it is worth exploring the logic of his argument. Yeah. So here is a simple question. I haven't a clue who occupied the apartment I'm currently living in, the building. <laughs> who occupied this piece of land 3,000 years ago? I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest about that. I've been in this apartment for 25 years, so I, or 19, 30 years, so I know who's been here for 30 years. And my father occupied the apartment 15, for 15 years before me, so that's roughly 50 years, a half a century. But I don't go, I don't know anything further back. So, for all I know, if somebody were to knock on my door holding a Bible, and saying, Mr. Finkelstein, sorry to disturb you, but it so happens that 3,000 years ago, my ancestors occupied the space where the building in which you live uh, was erected. And so, if you don't mind, leave. Is that a serious argument to reconstitute the world's map and borders on the basis of something that occurred between two and three thousand years ago? It's just so completely lunatic that it's just hard to believe that unless you live inside this seamless bubble anybody can take arguments along this these lines seriously there were after for the last century you know last centuries up until what's called the emergence of modern zionism in the late 19th century there were about the estimates are about 5 to 10% depending on the period about five to 10% of the population was Jewish for about 2000 years, 5% uh, was Jewish. And under normal conventions of modern morality, the land belongs to the people who occupied it and have occupied it. 
that's not a controversial concept that the inhabitants of a part, I should say it was controversial until developments in international law in the modern world, that the land belongs to its inhabitants and that a people, if a people exists, uh, have the right to self-determination up to and including independence. And that basic principle ought clearly to have applied to the people of Palestine. So that too strikes me as uncontroversial. New elements were introduced into the equation with the emergence of the modern Zionist movement, the settlement of uh, Palestine by Jewish colonists, and the real fact that those Jewish colonists created a society with the governmental institutions, the language, the uh, a distinct language, a distinct culture. They did create a society there. And then the issue, whether they, whether it was just or not, whether it was imposed by force or not, it was a fact. And then the question became, how do you adjudicate, uh, which is just a fine, uh, fancy word for legally allocating rights between those who live there, quote unquote, originally, and here I'm speaking to the Palestinian Arabs who had been there for several centuries at least, and those who created a separate society. And there are various ways to adjudicate that situation. In the case of South Africa, it was finally resolved with one person, one vote between the black and the white populations of South Africa. In other situations, there have been separation, partition, um, many cases in the world. Then in places like Switzerland, there has been one state with various minority rights for various subgroups who speak German, French, you know, various kinds of rights. Um, without going into all the details, the bottom line is the way this conflict was resolved between the indigenous population and a new society that had been created over the course of time, admittedly by force, admittedly by force, the resolution was to have two states there, and a Jewish state and an Arab state. Now, that to me is the logical starting point. I really don't care about the Hasmoneans. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting topic if you're into biblical history. It's an interesting topic. But I think you have to be, uh, you have to have a few mental loose screws to imagine that that 
what happened three thousand between three two and three thousand years ago is establishes a title to a parcel of land in the 20th or the 21st century mm. that just makes no sense to me yeah i don't mean to insult you i i use ben shapiro not to confront you with no, his, his argument I mean, he, but he, I th this video has 1.7 millions views and yeah, i think uh, you know it's like we're losing the information I, war if there's such know, a thing i don't know how any of the social media works uh whenever Barack Obama says something, he immediately gets 20 trillion views. <laughs> I know, yeah. And maybe they pay I can't, some. I can't imagine anyone listening to Barack Obama for about <laughs> yeah. more than five minutes Me without too. falling to sleep. Exactly. Uh, he's, such yeah. a stu he's a stupendous narcissist yeah. and a, uh, an, an, an insupportable bore at the same yeah. time. So I don't know. When I hear about these views, I figure there must be some robot. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible too. Uh, he completely In any case, agree. he does have a following. Yeah, Good that for is. Him. So there's only four points, and now we reach the points of m not history, but more actual uh, argument mm -hmm. about uh, the partition, for instance. So let's keep mm -hmm. going. Let's keep going. Um, here we go. Sharing. And here we go. Middle East. This is, again, a pure lie. In 1917, the British promised the Jews the entire area of Palestine, at the time, Israel and Transjordan, which is today's Jordan. In 1920, the Arabs began pogroms, a mass murder of Jews, in Jerusalem, as a sign of anger at the British mandate in Palestine. In 1922, the British government, in response, announced in a white paper that the Transjordan area, 70% of Palestine, would be sliced off and made an Arab state. That would become Jordan. In 1937, the Peel Commission recommended a rump state for the Jews, in which the British would retain control over Jaffa and Jerusalem, the Arabs would get the entire Negev and nearly the entirety of Judea and Samaria, and the Jews would get a tiny swath of territory along the coast, including Tel Aviv and Haifa. In 1939, the British, in response again to Arab pressure, restricted Jewish immigration to Palestine just as the Nazis began World War II and just before the Holocaust. Nonetheless, the Jews sided with the Brits, the Arabs sided with Hitler. In 1948, the British mandate ended and Israel declared its independence. David Ben-Gurion read the proclamation of independence to 13 other members of the Israel Provisional National Council. Israel had taken its place among the nations of the world. In 1964, with the Arabs still in full control of the Gaza Strip and West Bank, the Palestine Liberation Organization was founded, calling for the destruction of Israel. Here is a contemporaneous British report on the first chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization. One of the most extreme anti-Israeli politicians in the Arab world, Ahmed El Shuked, the leader of the Palestine Liberation Organization. As the spokesman for one million Palestine refugees, he's fanned the flames of hatred for Israel with unflagging energy. In 1967, the Arab League announced the three no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. With all of Israel's enemies mobilizing against it, Israel launched a preemptive strike on the Egyptian Air Force, inaugurating the 1967 Six-Day War. This ended with Israel gaining miraculously the Sinai Desert, the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, Judea and Samaria, now known as the West Bank, as well as the entirety of Jerusalem. In 1973, the Arabs launched all-out war again, this time on Yom Kippur. Israel survived and gained territory. 
1979, Israel gave the Sinai back to Egypt in return for peace. In 1993, Israel agreed to the Oslo Accords, which promised a step-by-step -step process to establish a Palestinian state. In 1998, Israel conceded yet more territory to the Palestinian Authority under the prime ministership of Benjamin Netanyahu. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak offered Yasser Arafat, the terrorist leader of the Palestinian Authority, 91% control over the West Bank in contiguous territory and an Israeli security presence along 15% of the border with Jordan. Arafat walked away from the table and began the Second Intifada, a massive terror wave that ended with the death of thousands of Jews. In 2005, Israel unilaterally withdrew from the Gaza Strip. Hamas immediately took it over and began using it as a base for terrorist activity. That continues until this day. In 2008, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert offered even more than Barak in terms of territory, with some land swaps to maintain Jewish populated areas in exchange for some Israeli territory. Omer even offered to relinquish Israeli sovereignty at the Temple Mount, the holiest site in Judaism, as well as the entire old city of Jerusalem to a five-member non-sovereign international trusteeship comprising Israel, the PA, Jordan, the US, and Saudi Arabia. PA head Mahmoud Abbas walked away without a counteroffer. Myth number three. There you go. So that was, that was, that was long. <laughs> That's propaganda, I know, but there's so with, many people. With, with all due regard, with all due regard, mm -hmm. in my day, we used to have a thing called bubble gum. It was pink <laughs> gum. Yeah. And the most famous brand was called Bazooka. Bazooka bubble gum. Okay. And it was a little square, a little square of bubble gum. And one of the one of the uh, um, um, bonuses of bazooka bubble gum was that a little comic, you know what a comic is? C-O-M-I-C? Yeah. Yep. There would be a little comic in the bazooka bubble gum. Yeah. I may have had one. The intellectual content of the bazooka bubble gum comic was more weighty than what this imbecile just put together there. He's so stupid. No, really. For anybody who has a, an iota of knowledge, he says that the Arabs gave three no's, no to negotiations, none of this, none of that. And then came the 1967 war. Buddy, come on. You couldn't, you couldn't pass my class when I used to teach the Israel-Arab conflict on rare occasion. The 67 war comes and then the argument is made that at Khartoum in November 67, if my memory is right, in November, after the June 67 war, came the famous, so-called famous three no's. He doesn't even have the basic, the most elementary chronology right. I don't know. He's got so much money, I'm told, you know, from his... Can't you hire somebody who's taken at least a 200 level course in the subject before you put together your idiotic video. I couldn't 
I couldn't possibly engage that because he goes in approximately one minute, maybe one minute, 30 seconds, hmm. he goes from the Balfour Declaration through to um, uh, Omart, Omart's offer, so-called offer, which is, I think, Omart's offer, I think, is 2007, if my memory is right. Could have been later, but I think it's 2007. Mm -hmm. He goes through more than a century. Do you understand? No, a century. From Balfour, which is 1917, he goes up to the Omar offer in less, in one minute, 30 seconds. That's the crawling that, behavior is, you were describing earlier about with the youth people, scrolling and needing to be fed fast. Is, is that history? No. Is that, a, is that an attempt? Is that an attempt at even meaningfully presenting your own case? Trying to meaningfully present your own case? Or is it tweets for morons? Yeah, probably. That's what it is, tweets for morons. Now, if Ben Shapiro is listening, and if he disagrees with me, there's a very simple way to engage this. You choose any one point, any one point in that one minute, 30 seconds, mm -hmm. and let's discuss it. You yeah. choose any one point in that one minute, 30 seconds, because I'm not going through a hundred years of history in, what, in, a, in a conversation. That's not, if you're in any way, if you are in any way intellectually serious, that's ridiculous. And what does one deduce from listening to that? I think the main deduction is he's not serious. It seems he when thinks, you look at the comments. He thinks that tweets, if you combine enough tweets, you have an argument. No, if you combine enough tweets, you have a lot of tweets, but they don't metamorphose into an argument. They don't metamorphose into a serious presentation. Now I realize, and I have to acknowledge, most of what I just said was ad hominem. It was directed at him. But I am presented with a problem. There's no substance there. There's literally no substance. Mm. And it's quite embarrassing, I think, to him that when he gets out of his bubble, he looks ridiculous. And that's what happened when he was on BBC with Andrew Nell. If you saw that famous interview, where suddenly, yeah, so it, yeah. suddenly, you had to uh, go. Ben Shapiro was not in his echo chamber, and he had to confront not a brilliant challenge, just a very minimal challenge. Mm -hmm. And he fell completely apart, completely apart. And 
<clears throat> that's how I feel with this video. It's just what you're presenting now. It's just for his echo chamber. Yeah. No, nobody listening to that can take it seriously. There's nothing there. As I said, and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, it has the weight, less weight, than a bazooka bubblegum comic. Pitiful. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm going to be serious with you. I'm, I'm not joking. I'm actually quite shocked. Yeah. I'm actually quite shocked. You were expecting a little bit, a, a, a level yes, a bit higher. Many people are telling me about this video and they're begging me and pleading with me, answer it, answer it. So when you started to play it, I had a slight writhing in my innards thinking, no. all right, I'm maybe mm. going to have to think this through. Maybe there are going to be some complicated arguments and how will I present yeah. the arguments? And then suddenly, because this is the first time I've this. seen it, yeah. I'm really kind of shocked. He doesn't, can you just play that one more time? Which Go one? up to... After, go up to around 1967. That's around halfway through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and as soon as I find it... 1% control over you. the West Bank in contiguous <clears throat> territory. Um, let me share it with you, otherwise you cannot uh, uh, see. Bim. Here we go. You'll say in June 1967, or a miracle. Yeah. Okay. Um, and an Israeli security presence along 15% of the border with Jordan. No, 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 that's Arafat right. walked away from the table ahead. and began the second intifada, a massive terror wave that ended. Yep. Israel no, no, survived no, no, and gained territory. No. In 1979, Israel... Uh, no, so, no, you got to go back to 67. 67, eh? Go so fast. Three notes. Wait. No peace. Yes. No... Right there. Right, right there. there. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Organization. As the spokesman for one million Palestine refugees, he's fanned the flames of hatred for Israel with unflagging energy. In 1967, the Arab League announced the three no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. With all of Israel's enemies mobilizing against it, Israel launched a preemptive strike on the okay, stop, Air Force. Stop. No okay, stop there. Now, are you in front of a computer? Yep. Okay. Just enter Khartoum, K-H-A-R-T-O-U-M. Khartoum. And three no's. Enter three no's. N-O apostrophe, N -O apostrophe S. Three no's. Okay. Khartoum, three no's. Mm -hmm. Should be November 1967. Uh... Yeah, what should I find? So bring it up on the screen if you can. How do you spell three nose? The number three. Yeah. And then the nose. N O apostrophe S, three nose. Okay. And I show you what, uh, what, what. Mm -hmm. You can go to Wikipedia, I'm sure they have it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, should I tell you or share what I what, what I yeah, see? Yeah, bring it up in the screen. Okay. Here you go. That's 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 it. 
Can you see? Yeah, so it says cartoon resolution, the famous three nodes, right? Yep, in Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So, was the cartoon resolution of September 1967, okay? Yeah. Now, you see what it says in the wake of the Six-Day War? Uh, it came after the June 67 war. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. The Six Day War is June 1967. The Khartoum Resolution is September 1967. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Now go back to his video. And listen to what he says. Where is it? The things that we've been seeing on our screens from Hamas as the Nazis began World War II and just before the Holocaust. Nonetheless, the Jews sided with the Brits, the Arabs sided with Hitler. Yeah. In Is 1948, it... the British mandate yeah, it's ended. A bit further. In 1964, with the Arabs still in full control of the Gaza Strip, the Israeli politicians yeah, okay. in the Arab world, Ahmed El Shuker the leader of the Palestine Liberation Organization. As the spokesman for one million Palestine refugees, he's fanned the flames of hatred for Israel with unflagging energy. In 1967, the Arab League announced the three no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. With all of Israel's enemies mobilizing against it, Israel launched a preemptive strike on the Egyptian Air Force, inaugurating right. the 1967 you see that? Yeah, okay, war. okay. You see that? Mm -hmm. He doesn't even know the three no's at Khartoum came after the war. Yep. Anybody who took Arab-Israeli conflict 101, which in the United States would mean an introductory course, would know that fact. Mm. He doesn't know anything. Thank you for this uh, easy demonstration. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, I actually was bracing myself for this because I figured he must have prepared a very sophisticated presentation. Yeah. And then it's going to require fine arguments, no. finding you know, the detailed <laughs> arguments to try to refute it. This was like breathtaking. Mm. I mean, you know, it's very sad because there are many people like this. The, the, the social media has so, and I don't want to sound like, oh, you know, the old days were so wonderful and so <laughs> okay. terrific. No, they weren't. But the social media has so corrupted the thinking process that this guy can actually believe he's presenting an argument. Do you know how embarrassing it is to go in one video in one minute, 30 seconds, going through a hundred years of history. Mm. You know how embarrassing that is? I feel it now. I was asked several times to go through the history of the conflict. I was asked for a teaching in Amherst, Massachusetts, and on the Michaela Peterson show. Yeah. And it took me at least an hour. And a half. If you go back and look. Yeah, see just it. the most superficial discussion, and I needed an hour. Yeah, and he goes through a hundred years. He goes through a hundred years in one minute thirty seconds, and think he and he really believes it. 
He really believes that he thinks he's making a substantive contribution to an intellectual debate. It's so pitiful. It's so mm. pathetic. Mm. So we won't we won't go further with that. I think no, uh, no. I, I got your point, and uh, I I I heard the the offer and, and you of. Can say to him, I don't I don't know up. him. I can tell you, I have right. no. No, you have to have just announced it because people keep saying to me, "Why don't they debate him?" As if I were afraid to. So oh, I posted no. today. You want to debate? I'll debate. It's always the the question like, should we waste our time? on that but like the numbers i would see also telling if like five million people watch something at one point someone needs to take the effort yeah, i know I it to you know that. that that was I the point but but sorry for for the no, low no level sorry. wait one second antoine there's no no sorry it's not like i uh, occupy a high place and i'm doing you a favor i'm just expressing real shock <laughs> no, I really am, mm. because I I was prepared uh, for a certain level of sophistication. Yeah, but this. Yeah, I have to be honest that I, I'm like uh, very interesting or, or, or interested of this conflict for a long time, and when I see someone talking like him, um, I it feels wrong in every sides and matter. But if someone asks me, okay, then debunk that. I, I, I don't yeah, think I'm able to. I don't think I'm able to. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And many people have asked me to reply to him, in particular this video, which until now I had never looked at. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. Because first of all, you, you, I don't think, you don't, I'm sure you understand, you can't do it. That's why I said, if he wants to challenge me at mm -hmm. any one point, it would still take a half yeah. hour yeah, yeah, yeah. to go through what exactly is said. Yeah. King. So mm -hmm. to answer that hundred years <laughs> that went through the Balfour Declaration, yeah. the 1922 decision to par uh, parcel off uh, uh Uh, wait, it went through the Balfour Declaration, then it went through the what he called a, a, a pogroms in Hebron in 1920, then the, partition, the decision to par, uh, partition off Transjordan from Palestine, then he went to uh, 1939, the British White Paper, then he went to the Holocaust, Then he went to the creation of the state of Israel. Then he leapt over to the uh, formation of the PLO in 1964. Then he went to the 1967 war. Then he went to the 1973 war. Then he went to the Oslo Accord. Then he went to the uh, Barack Arafat negotiations at Camp David in 2000. Then he went to the Omer. I mean, What is this? It's like Wikipedia for idiots. I mean, Wikipedia, if you take any single entry for any of those topics, just anyone, here, do a simple one. Do 1967 war. Just go right now. Wikipedia, yeah, okay. June 1967 war. June 19, 
67 war. 1967 war. Yep. Arab-Israeli war, whatever you want to call it. Six-day war. Right. Yeah, and I'm sharing now. Right. Here you go. Can you see it? Mm-hmm. Now scroll down and look at the size of the entry. Look at the size. Just scroll down. Just keep going. It's going to be very long. Yeah. <laughs> we can go look along. At the size. No, look at the size of it. And he disposes of the of the sixty-seven war. He disposes of it in approximately five seconds, mm. maybe even four seconds. And this is Wikipedia. I mean, we're not talking about a substantive scholarly source. We're talking about Wikipedia. Yeah. And he disposes of it in approximately four to five seconds. I, I understand it's an it's insult just, it's because just... you've been working for 40 years on the topic. And you, when you talk, read, you talk very... I've read at least um, 50 books on the 1967 war. Do you understand? Mm. I read around 50 books on the 1967 war. And then he disposes of it in four to five seconds. He's an idiot. No, 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 no. This is this is pitiful. Mm. This is pitiful. Okay, Mr. Antoine, it's a pleasure. Okay, bye. -bye. Thank you. We love you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.